1: So we're not even aware of it that we're watching these shows and mm-hmm. these stereotypes. And imagine kids who are growing up—how much it plays on their mind if they're seeing shows that shows that guys can be nerdy, but for girls to be nerdy is really they're just awkward and they don't have a lot of friends. And maybe on social media, they're not really the most popular girl. That really plays on people, right. and it was really prevalent 15, 20 years ago. Over the years, we're seeing a lot more really strong female role models who are good in technology, good in science good in other aspects. They're just smart women who are just very strong in their ways of thinking and their perspectives and bring a strong point of view that the world needs to know. I'm Shalini Govil-Pai, and I'm a modern minority.
2: Welcome
0: to Modern Minorities.
2: This is a show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm
0: Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City.
2: And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. we're talking to Shalini Gopalpai, a tech and media executive at Google who previously worked as a technical director at Pixar on films like Toy Story and A Bug's Life. It was a really great conversation about her experiences coming up in a very male-dominated technical field and the lessons learned along the way, as well as some of the reflections on today's media culture and what it means for young women in, in the field. Sharon, what'd you think about Shalini? I thought it was
0: great. Shalini and I are connected through Chief, which is that amazing women's network organization that where we've had a lot of other guests on here. We had Lindsay Kaplan, one of the founders on. And Shalini is such an inspiration. She talks a lot about not just being in the tech field today, but the fact that she was one of the early female engineers in rooms because she's had her career for about 20 or 30 years where there just weren't as many diverse faces in in those rooms. She also talks a little bit about her own experience with Pixar and making movies for kids. And she has a really cute little bit about how at the very end of the Pixar credits, so you guys can check this out, for A Bug's Life, there's actually a section for all the babies that were born during the production of that film. So there's actually like credits to the babies that came to be during that time. And I think I I love the fact that she mentions that because I think that shows a lot about work-life balance and a lot about celebrating how everyone can show up in different ways as a parent as well as a professional.
2: Yeah. And we get into a conversation later about kind of root causes of some of these things. And some of it is in kind of media portrayals. And while we're definitely further along than we have been in the past, it's this idea of how are Nerdy girls portrayed. And I I use the word nerdy as like a compliment. It's a good thing or is it a bad thing? Is it something that young women want to aspire to or not? And I even think about like a lot of the comics and cartoons that my daughter is consuming. And I spend a lot of time thinking about like, okay, it's okay to be the smartest girl in the room. That's an okay thing. And that's something you should strive to be in a humble, collaborative sort of way. And it's really great to see female leaders like Shalini leading this charge and the, just the day-to-day work that she's doing at companies like Google and everything else she's kind of touching in the industry. So we hope you enjoy our chat with our new friend, Shalini.
1: Shalini, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Raman and Sharon. <laughs> so
2: the, the first question I'd just love to ask, where are you from?
1: <laughs> I am really from Bombay, now called Mumbai, in India.
2: I got to ask a question about that. So that was
0: an interesting answer.
2: I'm really from. (laughs) She she just cut straight to it. Like right, exactly. I know why we changed the name back to Mumbai, but all of my Indian friends from Bombay who like grew up there, they still want to call it Bombay. (laughs) Like, how do you think about that?
1: I when it was first changed, I was still in India, and we always grew up with it being called Bombay, and in fact. The film scene there is called Bollywood Bollywood. because of the B. And so when we changed the name, it was really hard for us who've grown up there as thinking of it as Bombay. I love Bombay. This is my city, Bombay. It was really hard for us to think of a new name for it. Imagine like you've grown up as Raman or Sharon all your life. And then suddenly when you're 20, it gets changed. Yeah. Like how hard is it for anyone to imagine this new person? who just is the same old person, but has a new name. And that's really how we felt about the name Mumbai. But then if you think back to the history of, it was always Mumbai. And Mm. it got changed when India was ruled by the English because they couldn't pronounce it. And so when you think (laughs) about that history, you think, yeah, I mean, of course, we should rename it to its original name because actually Bombay was its new name and we should take it back to its roots. And so that's the way I really think about it is it's the right thing and it's the right thing for the city that we're doing. But for me personally, it's just hard. And I think, Raman, for your friends who've grown up with that name, that's what makes it hard to change. Like it's always the Bombay part was sticky for us.
2: Well, those those years growing up, those memories are rooted in Bombay, not Mumbai. So we can call it Mumbai now, but I grew up in Bombay, right? Yes,
1: that's right. That's right.
0: What's one of your fondest memories of growing up in Bombay?
1: I'm going to tell the story because it's so pivotal for my entire life. Sure. I grew up in a city that was obsessed. I tell you, like, I think LA, my son is in LA now, and I know that Hollywood is a big part of everyone in LA, but, you know, to... Just think of it as 10x, like everyone who grew up in Bombay, we were obsessed with films and movies and Bollywood stars. And now that phenomena has caught on worldwide. But when I was growing up, that was just like, you were from Bombay, which meant you were part of Bollywood in some way. And hmm. so that's really how I grew up. Who was your favorite actor, actress growing up? Of course, it was Amitabh Bachchan. Of course, uh, which is everyone's favorite actor. He's like the Robert, Robert De Niro, generation. Al
2: Pacino of like Indian <laughs> yeah, cinema. Yes, he was the Al
1: Pacino, yeah. the Godfather, the everything. A- and even though I was growing up in Bombay with Bollywood in my backdrop. My father was a scientist, a very eminent scientist. And so our locale community was made of scientists and technologists. And so we thought about science and engineering as just the other flip side of the coin of what, who I was. So it was always like my passion for how do I become part of Bollywood? while keeping science and technology in the backdrop. And that's really what inspired me. So I'll tell you this little story where I acted in a film as an early childhood actress. It was called Hum Hindustanke, Hindustan Ke, which means the kids of India. And uh, the movie was, uh, I guess, pretty bad because no one really went to watch it. And many, many years later, when I was on YouTube, I asked my India team, hey, can we digitize this movie? At least let's put it up on YouTube. And they couldn't find the movie. Like, there, there is no digital version of it available anywhere. You know, it's sitting
2: like in a... A VHS tape that's been copied four <laughs> times in some uncle's closet in Atlanta. <laughs> I,
1: I think it's in some uncle's closet that I have to find, but we couldn't find it in the waltz of, of Mumbai. So it, it remains a mystery where it is, but I'll find it. But that early experience made me realize like, wow, I'm probably not a good enough actress that <laughs> an entire movie can sustain on my shoulders. I mean, so that's really when I started looking at technology to, and Pixar was just coming around, you know, Pixar had had done this fabulous movie called Tintoy, which I don't know if you've seen. But absolutely, actually, absolutely. You, you have seen it. So, so it actually was one of the first movies to even come up at the Oscars and they got a special award for it as the first computer graphic short story. And so that really made me realize like there are other ways to get into filmmaking and maybe that's through computers. And so then I did my bachelor's in computers from the IIT in Mumbai, although at that time it was called IIT Bombay. And then I did my computer graphics specialization at Penn State and then joined Pixar right after that. So that's like the, my early memories that really, like I said, has pivoted me into my current career trajectory as well.
2: So your dad was a computer scientist and what did what did Bob do and how did, was she also yeah. in tech or was she in the arts?
1: Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad was not a computer scientist. He was mm. a, a molecular biophysicist. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so slightly um, still involved with computers, of course. So like he used computers a lot to model molecules and enzymes and he actually started what we call NMR or Nuclear Magnetic Resonance. In India, he started that entire program. And another fun fact about him was that he actually got India's first silicon graphics machine at that time in in order to model molecules, Mm. but he allowed me to use it on the weekends. And so I would use it to like create fun little animations and very, very simple stuff. But that also inspired me to see how computers could actually help create and narrate stories. And that flip side was really actually where my mom was. She was much more of an artist and a creator, and she always wanted me to go into art. Mm. And so again, this was like the perfect am- amalgamation of how do we bring art and technology together to create very compelling stories.
0: That's amazing. You are the perfect the perfect combination of
2: mom and dad professionally.
1: <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> what did mom and dad want you to be, though?
1: Uh, my mom always wanted me to be an artist. And uh, my dad wanted me to be in a technology engineer. So I think they're both very proud of where I landed up because I think it summates both of them. He and my father actually just passed away last week
2: I'm so in a very, very, very
1: sudden freak accident. But I think when he passed, he was with us, he went very peacefully. And he expressed how proud he was of everything that Me and my sister, who's also in technology, and my brother, who's also a scientist, have done. And so I think that that's a tribute to how he brought us all up. So
2: you're part of the Indian generation I grew up knowing was my parents' generation, the one that came over in the 70s. And as I progressed in my career, and I got to work with a ton of Indian folks overseas and expat assignments. I started to meet the generation who came over more recently. And it feels like the experience of coming over was a very different decision calculus. What was what was that decision for you? Why leave? Why why not stay? Or is there a desire to go back? Like, well, at that moment, when did you choose to leave for grad school? And was it just for grad school? Was it because there's more opportunity? Is there a pull to go back home?
1: Yes, uh, it's a great question, Raman, I think. And it changes like I'm probably not I don't know if I'm your parents' generation, but I am. No,
2: no, no, no. <laughs> We're all young on this call.
1: But I, of course, now there are a lot more current generation folks who are moving over with different reasons. For me... And for my husband, who was also in IIT with me, we both moved for our higher education. Mm. And that was really just the dumb thing. Like after you get your bachelor's, you did a master's. And most Mm. people did a master's in this country, like in the US. This was the place to do a master's. And so that's really what moved me here is to do a master's, like I said, in computer graphics. And then once I was done, I I thought, okay, let me work here for a couple of years. And then I want to move back. And I want to be in Bollywood. (laughs) Like I said, that was my dream. And so, but once I started working at Pixar, like it was just such an amazing six, seven years that I had as we produced Toy Story, which was the first computer graphics uh, animated movie. And then we went on to make A Bug's Life. The anecdote there was when I was making A Bug's Life, I had my first daughter, Sonal. And uh, what we did for A Bug's Life is in the credits, we had this little call out called production babies, Mm -hmm, which were mm -hmm. all the babies that were born while we made this production. And her name was in it. And so as these moments started happening, more and more of my friends were here, my daughter was born. And so we formed a community around the kids with their parents. And then it just started getting harder and harder to move back. And so although initially I wanted to move back, I think it was, there were opportunities, but there were opportunities in India too, and those continue. I think it was just staying here. My community came here. Like, I know less people in India now than I know mm. here. Mm-hmm. My entire family is now here. My my friends are here. My community is here. My kids are here. So it's just really hard to even think about going back at this stage. Were there moments
0: as you were developing your career or anything else where you felt like you had to do anything to fit in?
1: Yeah, definitely. It happens at all aspects. Like even when I was in engineering in IIT, I was the only woman in my class of class of 35. I was the only girl. And uh, I don't know if it's conforming, but definitely there are stereotypes that get created, right? And uh, stereotypes are formed because there's a majority that conform to a certain stereotype. And there's a minority where people don't think of them in that role because there are not that many of them in that role. And so for a lot of my colleagues, initially, it was hard for them to fathom that, oh, here's a girl. She's the only girl in my class. And uh, all the other guys are great in computers and they get how to code and they get how to do math. And what's it with this girl? Like, is she good with math? How should I treat her? Should I talk to her in a different way? Should I be very sensitive about how I communicate or can I treat her like the rest of the guys? You know what I'm saying? So there were all these like things that you could observe just watching people. But over time, because I was just part of the class and they just knew, they learned that I was not different from the other guys. I was part of the same group of people who are passionate about programming and passionate about computers. And so they started accepting me. And I think by my fourth year, like our final year, we were all such great friends and they continue to be great friends. A few of them are at Google with me and uh, we reach out to each other if there's any issue that we want solved. And we know that we can lean on each other and because we trust each other, like we've, grown up together almost. And so that was a change that I saw from my first year of college to my last year is just mm. the camaraderie that came by the acceptance that, hey, this person may look different from us, but she's actually very similar to us in many ways. And they're different too, but we accept the differences.
2: That's the goal um, of like some of the conversations that we try to have. So I, I guess I want to ask the question a different way because I mean, that's part of the reason we do this podcast, right? Like it's to see what we have in common and what we don't. But when I came up in computer engineering, I could count on my hand the number of girls who were in my CS classes. And I think that is changing. I mean, I'm now old <laughs> and there are more girls who code, but now having been in the tech sector and worked at a bunch of startups, like it's it's a persistent problem finding female engineers. And some of it is a pipeline but. but What do you think is what's keeping women from being more in the field of tech and engineering and computer science specifically? Is it that exclusive boys' club majority mindset at the early stages, or is there something else going on?
1: You know, Raman, this is my perspective from what I see. Mm, Please. Definitely, there is a mindset like you go to middle school and girls are very into math, and then by the end of their middle school, they start shying away. I've noticed a lot of it is. Yes, there's the peer group, so there may be less girls. And so therefore, you, you want to adjust yourself to what the majority of the girls are doing. And there's another challenge, which is really the media. In, and I'll talk a little bit about that and how, how I'm trying to change that personally from our products. You know, in the media, we often portray these really stereotypes of guys who are really smart and yes, they're nerdy, but they're really smart. And the girls who are nerdy just tend to be very awkward and a little bit different. And they're not like the the cute girls. Mm -hmm. And it's really amazing to me, the amount I've been in media, really understanding this aspect of how much media shapes our subconscious so we're not even aware of it, that we're watching these shows and we're watching these stereotypes and it's really playing on our minds. And imagine kids who are growing up, how much it plays on their mind if they're seeing shows that shows that the guys can be nerdy, but for girls to be nerdy is really, they're just awkward and they're not, they don't have a lot of friends and maybe on social media, they're not really the most popular girl. That really plays on people and My sense is a large part of this has got to do with the stereotypes that media starts putting out there. And it was really prevalent a lot 15, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. over the years, we're seeing a lot more really strong female role models who are good in technology, good in science, good in other aspects, legal aspects. They're just smart women who are not necessarily awkward and just very strong in their ways of thinking and their perspectives and bring a strong point of view that the world needs to know. And so I think that that's really reshaping a lot of this. And we're seeing it, right, in our data and our numbers too, even at Google. We're seeing more and more women engineers who are amazing engineering leaders, amazing technology leaders who have a strong voice. And that's coming uh, from the pipeline we're seeing from colleges, so, we're seeing interest from women and we're seeing it in our own numbers. And we've, of course, released a lot of the, the diversity numbers openly, but we're seeing that upward trend. So, I'm very, very hopeful on that. On the media side, Raman and Sharon, just as you are trying to put together, how do we get more conversations from different aspects of people? What we try to do on our TV product, my, my product is called Google TV. And what we launched recently is um, what we call Watch With Me, where we're we're bringing in these celebrities like Laverne Cox and Hasan Minhaj who are quote-unquote minorities in their own ways. And they're just telling us stories about what inspired them, what made them do what they did, what were the movies and shows that they watched growing up and what it meant to them. And then we display that collection primarily with the hopes that Others who identify with these celebrities will look at these shows too and understand, oh, this is what can inspire. This can is what can really help me maybe grow in shape in different ways. So I think media has got a big part to do with it. And the more we can do to really help elevate out of the stereotypes and bring those different perspectives, Raman, like you said, what are things that are similar and what are things that are different that we appreciate and that help all of us elevate are really the great conversations to have. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think media—it's not even just representation of—I hate to say like non-fiction influencers, real people, like like all all three of us—but it's the shared experience that people have when they watch stories, right? Be it uh, be it cartoons, be it uh, fictional TV shows, sitcoms, dramas, etc. These are the shared experiences and acceptances that people see themselves represented on screen, big or small, right? And I think if if you don't change that, even in like advertisement, like who are the faces sitting around the dinner table? I've I've even noticed that more in TV advertising as much as I'm an ad skipper. uh, When when ads do creep their way into my feed, you're seeing it more. I think we just have to show the world as it is uh, because it already is this way. It's increasingly this way. And I think that's how you move perceptions.
1: Definitely. I think just understanding... Why does someone who doesn't look like me, how do they think? And why do they think Mm -hmm. that way? And what is there to celebrate in that? I think it's a really important aspect of what conversations and what media can really help provide.
0: Yeah. I think one thing that I've always really appreciated about Google is the way that the brand overall tells stories around how technology brings people together in that way. I mean, one of my favorite, I'm a total nerd, but one of my favorite videos of the year is the year in search that is released every year because it's such an interesting display of how a shared platform can really display the collective conscious, right? And all the questions on our minds and all of the things that we're looking for for the year. And I think the way that that relates back to diversity and inclusion and role models is, having a platform where people can see or hear or experience stories from folks that are quite different, but might be consuming the same exact thing. Like if H- Hasan Minaj says he was inspired by, I don't know, the Brady Bunch growing up or whatever it may have been for him. I think there's a common thread that then allows people to, to find that within each other. That's right.
2: I think uh, I, I- I don't know if I said it. I probably have on this pod like one of my favorite ads of all time. And I promise not to Google fanboy. It's the ad Dear Sophie by Google. And Oh yes. I love I mean, that. seriously to this day that ad still <laughs> makes me cry. And I before the first time I saw it, I didn't have a kid. And I think I already wanted kids, but that made me want to have kids even more. And like if you're listening to this pause, open up YouTube on your phone and type in Google ad Dear Sophie. But what's what's so compelling about that ad beyond like the obvious like tear joking <laughs> tear-jerking moments is it's actually an Asian dad talking to his daughter, but it's this universal story of fatherhood and parenthood. They just happen to be Asian. And I think the thing that it does beautifully well, and this is where representation and media come into play, is, oh, he's just like me. That guy who doesn't look like me, yeah. his kid doesn't look like my kid. They are just like me. Yes, and- they have
1: the same. It's a dad and a daughter. You right. Know, they have the same love that any dad and daughter would have.
2: Yeah. I, I wonder like the sheer amount of kids email addresses that got set up after exactly. <laughs> there's, there's probably a very tight correlation between YouTube views of that ad and kids email addresses being claimed by their parents.
0: But I have to say, Raman, because I'm your friend, like now that you have said that that commercial impacted you so much, I can exactly see the blueprint that you've used for your own kids. But so much of it, it's like you've, you, yeah, you, I just, I, I know so much about you. And, and now that I know that that Inspired you, I can see the choices that you made for how you want to document how you want to document their childhoods. It's Google plays into my OCD
2: tendencies. What can I say? <laughs> uh, Shelley, I, I have to ask. I mean, you've touched on a little bit of your time at Pixar, but Pixar is another one of those brands, and. I mean, they're storytelling brands that are near and dear to so many of our hearts. Obviously, Marvel and Star Wars and Disney have become one of those more recently. HBO is obviously one of those. But Pixar is, I mean, it's almost been, people just assume a great animated film must be Pixar now. But that's not, I mean, what Pixar owns is story and technology is an enabler of that. But you were there in those early days when you guys were bucking trends and doing things that had never been done before.
1: One of the biggest sayings that Steve Jobs actually had, and this is Steve Jobs, who was, of course, the most brilliant technologist in modern era, I think. He said once we were sitting, what we used to do at Pixar, we had this thing called dailies, which is very common in production land, which is every day sitting with the director and a whole group of people who are working on the shot will like watch what the shot looks like and what's right with it and what's wrong, what should be changed with it, should we add more technology to it. And I remember Steve sitting in one of those and uh, our technology leader was saying, hey, actually this hair of Andy, we can make it a lot better. We can just put in these kind of modeling and we could make this amazing. And Steve said, yes. And remember that it's all about the story. And that was something that has always guided us at Pixar, which is no amount of good technology can fix a bad story. So the P0, this is uh, what we, I I don't know, Raman and Sharon, if you use the lingo P0, it's what other people call it, the highest bit. That's how Steve Jobs used to refer to it. But the most important thing, that's what I refer Mm to as a P0. The P0 for a movie or a story is the story. And we can't forget that. Mm -hmm. The P0 for a product is always How does the user interact with the product? And so that was something that we always took to heart at Pixar, that yes, we want an amazing technology. It's computer graphics, animated. We can make things look amazingly realistic. We can make things look amazingly, resoundingly beautiful. That may be harder with hand-drawn. However, we cannot forget that that's in service of the story. Like any technology that can make the story more amazing is what we should be building and we shouldn't be building technology for the sake of technology. And so I think that's was the biggest lesson that I've taken away from Steve from Pixar and I've kept it, you know, true in all of the products that I work on. I worked on YouTube after that as if you think of Pixar as the produ- production house, YouTube was really the distribution like how do we use internet to distribute All kinds of stories and narratives, whether it's an individual or a large production house like a Pixar or a Disney, we've always kept true to that mission. And we don't want to just invent new technology for the sake of it. It is, how does this technology help with that goal of the product or of the story?
2: Story is, it is the ultimate P0. It is like, even in politics, in tech, user stories, user interaction, it, it. Cuts across borders stories. I, I guess, though, the question I would love, since you have a unique perspective of both here and there, there being India, uh, Mumbai, Bollywood, what are, as I think about like the usage stories of, let's just use YouTube because that's where you've spent a lot of your time more recently. How do people consume stories differently? Because I think like if I, Go back in time 20 years ago to one of my second or third trips to India, I went to a multiplex and I saw a movie. And that was a very different experience because there was an intermission and there was singing and dancing. And so how does that translate to today, how people on the other side of the world are consuming content versus the way we in the Western world consume content?
1: I, I don't know if there's that much difference today in how people consume content, and the reason being that the world has just become so flat, if you will. it just becomes so much more global. Everyone's doing similar things. Like if you look at the younger generation, I think the generation that's in India is not that different than who's in the US versus who's in Korea, because just technology has brought us all a lot closer. I think what I would say is the difference is maybe 20 years ago. So there's a difference in terms of time, where 20 years ago, it was much more the practice that I want to watch a big production in a huge theater with amazing audio and amazing video. And of course, we've had IMAX and we've had many different types of innovations come from there where the social experience, the experience of watching with people physically with me was a much bigger deal. And if you think of theater and and how that's transformed itself, that's really a sign of how social watching was. And now the, the term social has got a slightly different connotation, where it's not necessarily sitting down with tons of people and watching something, but watching it where the social may be more through... Twitter, or maybe more through my Facebook account, where I'm tweeting about it, or I'm commenting on it. And I'm the social element of the story is coming through via those technologies. And what we're seeing is less and less through theaters, not that theaters will ever go away. That's not a prediction that I believe in, at least not yet. (laughs) But I think more and more what I see with the younger generation is they're happy to watch things, as long as through these other mediums, they're interacting with people and showcasing to other people how much that story might mean to them, whether it's buying paraphernalia. A lot of kids now are creating avatars and buying things in virtual spaces. And so those things move and change. But I think the aspect of this story means something to me and I want to showcase that to my friends either by being physically with them, that was 20 years ago, physically watching something. My uncle, for example, will repeat all the dialogues that he's seen in a movie because he watched that (laughs) movie 20 times and that's his way of expressing how close he is to that storyline versus my son who will watch it. He won't express the dialogues, but he'll buy a ton of paraphernalia around it. He'll showcase it to his friends. He'll showcase it on his Twitter account. I think he uses Twitter. He also uses Snapchat. So he'll showcase it on his Snapchat story. And so those modalities have changed. But I think the fact that stories are still consumed to be expressed through our social norms are are still very much alive.
0: You've talked about your kids, and I'm curious to know, what do your kids think that you do for for a living?
1: Uh, You know, it used to be different when they were younger. When they were younger, my son, he thought I had the best job. He used to tell all his friends, I want a uh, job like that. Because
2: God. you do, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Because it's yeah. an easy job. All she does is sit in meetings and tell people what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I want a job like that. <laughs> uh, so that's what they thought. But for me, like I was I was at Pixar, which produced mm-hmm. movies for kids. Yeah. I was at YouTube, which all the kids use and love. I'm on Google TV now, which again, all my kids have, my kids have Google TV. No one in my family is allowed to use other <laughs> Anything else. Of course. Of course not. And so, so they but see When, when it comes over, yeah. they hide the Apple TV. Yeah. <laughs> we do have an Apple TV, I will confess. <laughs> and they do use it, but they're slowly moving over to Google TV. Nice. But because these are products that they can feel and they yeah. can touch and they know what it is. So they have an inkling what I do. Yeah it's probably harder for people who work maybe in B2B spaces where the kids don't exactly know what the problem well, is. Well,
2: they know their parents are in meetings and tell people yeah. what to do. Yes. <laughs> right. and tell That's basically what, they what exactly. we all do. <laughs> I, 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 in fact, I remember sometime in the last year, someone asked my daughter, what does your dad do? And she was like, he's on his computer a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what? How do you think the way you raised your kids here with feet in both worlds, how do you think that was different from the way that your
1: parents raised you? Yeah, I'm not sure I have all the answers. One of the things my mother was just, me and her were talking about the kids today and we were talking about how my son is very close to another kid who was born in India and my son is born here. And so there are a lot of commonalities that we see. Like kids today are brought up with a lot of the modern technologies at their fingers. And so a lot of those are common. And there are differences in the sense that my son, he is really a child of the world. Like he understands different cultures, a lot more than I did when I was growing up. I I only understood India. And when I came here, that's when I started understanding America. And then as the world opened up, understanding other cultures. But for him, he's grown up looking at cultures around the world and understanding them in various ways through various mediums. And so I think a lot more of that is maybe less to do with the fact that he's born up in U.S., but more to do with the fact that he's born up today as a child of someone who understands the world cuz it's at he sees it like he sees it on twitter he sees it on snapchat it's so easily accessible and i think that's the magic of technology which is why i believe in technology is it brings as per this podcast too it brings all these different viewpoints to you in much more accessible ways than was ever possible and so i think that's the big difference
0: yeah it's pretty interesting and amazing i think with just Remin and I, not together, but we have kids of mixed race marriages and their experiences are so diverse from my own experience growing up just being Chinese American, right? It's like their worlds are just so much broader than my own experience and and how I relate to culture. So it it's quite interesting. If we were to take you back to your younger self. So back in, all the way back to Bombay, what is it? a piece of advice that you would give yourself?
1: You know, my biggest advice that I give to the younger generation is always know that your voice is important. When I was younger, I think I was very shy. I would go into into forums, and I would feel like, oh, this person is so much older than I am, or this person is the VP of of Pixar, let's say. Yeah. So they obviously know more than I do. What do I know? I'm so young. I'm just coming out of college. And so I would keep my mouth shut in a lot of instances. But what I have realized as I've grown (laughs) more mature is that I want to hear, like for me myself, I want to hear the voices of young people because they're the people who are transforming this world now. I have become status quo, right? Like for me, it's hard for me to adapt new technologies because I'm not growing up with it. Uh, I for, have to force myself, for example, to use Snapchat. But for the kids of today, it just is natural. They just will pick it up and start using it. And, so, and that brings to them so many different points of views and perspectives, listening to podcasts like these. And so my biggest advice to myself and to the kids of today is know that your voice is very important and you have to speak out and say these things to, doesn't matter who you're speaking to, you could be speaking to the VP or the CEO of Google or any other company, but the most important thing you can do there is not listen to them, but to express your point of view. And hmm. so, my biggest advice is find your voice. Know that it's a powerful voice, and that the world wants to hear it. So, speak it out.
2: That's so great. Well, Shalini, I feel like we could speak for hours, but I think I think you're ready for speed round. What do you think, Shalini?
0: I think you're ready for speed round. Okay, that sounds
2: scary.
1: The speed round sounds scary. So really quick,
2: that is the right response. Everyone says they're ready for it, and I'm all about no one is ready for it. So you've already won, just by acknowledging. Okay, there
1: you go. So so we're done then. No speed round.
2: (laughs) No, I'm sorry, everyone. It's a gauntlet of fire that everyone must survive on this podcast. (laughs) Uh, Shelley, what is something about you that no one expects?
1: You know, I'm much more of a quiet person, so I'm not the loudest voice in the room. But I'm a big party person. And so I think that people don't expect that. (laughs) They're like, (laughs) oh, she can party. Uh, party So, yeah, I like to have fun. That's amazing.
0: What is a book, movie, or television show with characters that you can relate to?
1: You know, as I was growing up, this is very timely, Sharon, because when I was growing up, my the biggest inspiration was Isaac Asimov and his books. And uh, when I read The Foundation, it just like transported me to a different world. And it was just so amazing and inspiring and mind blowing. And it just came out on Apple TV Plus. Are you allowed to say that and watch that? <laughs> of course. In public? In public? <laughs> Google TV is a platform and we support I'm, I'm all kidding, apps kidding. equally. <laughs> Apple TV Plus has been doing some amazing shows, by the way, including the morning show, which I'm also a big fan of, but foundation, because it was the foundation for me for a lot of things that I did. And to see it just come to life in this amazingly produced manner was is just something mind blowing. And so that's really my favorite show right now.
2: It's, uh, it is a book that I hold in very high regard. And I have very mixed feelings about giving the show a try for that reason.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would agree, Raman, like go in knowing that it's not exactly like the book, but it's yeah. got its its own charm.
2: That's great. What is your favorite mom dish?
1: My favorite mom dish is this thing that we call sabudana khichdi. Uh, Raman, I don't know if you... I, I know khichdi is
2: like you just mix a bunch of stuff together, so I don't know what the <laughs> yes. first part was. Yes,
1: <laughs> but this is with these, it's like tapioca seeds, okay. like yeah. The, yeah. the little round balls you... you them in water overnight and then you cook it the next morning with peanuts and potatoes and of course all the spices indian spices Um, and in fact i just had it this morning which is why it's top of mind Uh, so that's my favorite mom dish well
2: is that your the dish that you make as a mom or the dish that your mom no i cannot make it
1: i'm (laughs) I'm not a good cook i don't pretend to be a good cook i cannot make it but my mom makes it so (laughs)
0: that's awesome that's awesome what's your least favorite food
1: my least favorite food. Well, I don't know because I don't eat them. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, what is it if, if you were to show up at uh, a party with the cast of The Morning Show and they put a dish down in front of you that you would just walk away from?
1: You know, there's this vegetable that Sharon, maybe you, I, I know in China, as Chinese Um, and Indian people use it because I, at the farmer's market, we're all like lining up for this vegetable, but I don't eat it. It's called karela in Indian. Oh, bitter melon. (laughs) Yeah. My My husband loves it. So I always get it, but I myself cannot stand it. So I never eat it.
2: We're on the same team about this one. Yeah. Screw that. Like screw (laughs) karela. (laughs) (laughs) Who is someone that you would want to have a conversation with on a podcast?
1: Of course, with both of you. So I'm really thankful to have been doing Aww. this. And the other person would, Steve Jobs would have been amazing just to understand him. Uh, I Of course, I saw him as the CEO of Pixar, but it was a business interaction, just understanding mm-hmm. like what motivated him and what drove him. I think that would be amazing i.e. Isaac Asimov would be another one. And then let me see. I think people who are alive, definitely. Of course, Sundar uh, uh, Sundar Pichai, who's CEO of Google. And I know him to some extent. So, but it would be amazing to sit with him on a podcast as well.
2: I mean, man, Amitabh Bachchan going to be upset that you didn't say his oh, name.
1: Oh, Amitabh Bachchan, I forgot. <laughs> oh, Thank you for reminding. Amitabh Bachchan, for sure. <laughs> he's like
2: totally listening to this right now. He's like, oh, yes. I was about to call her, but no.
0: <laughs> okay, last question. What does being a modern minority mean to you? Uh,
1: yeah, a minority is someone who sometimes feel like they have to conform to the majority, whatever that majority might be. I think for me, a modern minority is someone who understands that is really the blend of all voices, whether it's majority or minority, it is the blend of all voices that really uplifts everyone. It lifts all boats, really. And so how can we all be part of that spirit where all voices are heard and understanding that my voice, even if I consider myself as a minority, is important. It is critical for everybody, for the majority to hear those. That to me is what I think of as modern minority. modern that's a great answer.
2: Well, Shalini, thank you so much for joining and just sharing your perspective on your journey over the years. It's It's been just a lot of fun just having a chat. I feel like we're old friends now.
1: Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed this. And like you said, we're friends now. So let's keep <laughs> the contact going.
2: And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform.
0: Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three.
2: Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us, hi mom, at modmypod.com.
0: You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you.
2: That's it for now. I've been Ramin Segel,
0: And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony.
2: Remember, we're all modern minorities out there.
0: We'll talk to you soon.